That song is kind of a, I told my son today, I said it's like a ballad, really. It kind of tells a story, doesn't it? And um, just all those verses going together, you can hardly leave one out and you miss it all. Uh, we're going to talk about this on uh, Sunday, but um, we're going to mention it because we're still in our series. But uh, those wise men, there's nothing that says there were three. So every time I sing that, I kind of chuckle a little bit because I thought, boy, I should have thought about changing those words before I sang it. But uh, there's nothing that says it wasn't three. It just doesn't say there was three. So nonetheless, anyway, <clears throat> three gifts, 
Who knows how many kings, right? But anyway, uh, we're okay with it, okay? Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 1. We're just going to read the first seven verses. And of course, uh, boy, Christmas is on us now. We've got Friday night, which is Christmas Eve, and then Saturday's the day we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, that's why we celebrate it, is to put uh, light on Him and to remind our world that Jesus Christ came. And again, I understand the world has uh, truly, you know, um, uh, commercialized Christmas, but you know what, that's what the world does. But it's our job to make sure we remind them what it's really about. And uh, I'm just glad that they celebrate Christmas. Sadly enough, it seems like that's, you know, going to go away over time. And they're going to eventually probably even rename it before it's over with. You never know anymore the way things are going. But I'll say this, it's not a bad word because it has Christ in it. Okay, that doesn't make it a bad word. Christmas, okay. And uh, we just want to continue to celebrate him and always do that. Year round we do that, don't we, as believers? And uh, the world just finally figures it out on one day or two days a year. We've figured it out all the time. And so let's continue to let them know and remind them what it's really about. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 1, very familiar passage. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one unto his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I think it's interesting as you look at the scriptures, and again, I wasn't anticipating saying this, but I think it's interesting as you look into the Bible, there are certain phrases and words that are used often that have a tendency, they all have a purpose. For instance, they made sure that they said it was her firstborn. That's important, isn't it, if she was a virgin? And we believe and know that she was based on Scripture. But again, he makes sure that we are reminded. If you read that passage, even without any of the others, you're reminded this is her firstborn. And you also recognize even in passages where it talks about her being espoused, even though it says that he's married, he's espoused to her. Things like that. It's just words that are inserted to remind us all over again uh, that things were done the way the Scriptures say they were done. Now, Tonight, as we look at Christmas on the horizon, as we consider the Christmas account, because it wasn't a story, it's an account, uh, the fact is, is that there were a number of characters that we could turn to and look at. We think about Mary, and of course, she's the mother of Jesus. I mean, how in the world couldn't you, uh, you know, I mean, it's Christmas, right? You got to talk about Mary. We can look at Joseph. He was, of course, the Lord Jesus' earthly father. We still remember talking about him a few weeks ago as the angel came in and reminded him again, hey, Joseph, by the way, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. It's okay. It's handled. It's good to go. There's a purpose, there's a plan, and there's even prophecy that gives you good reason to go ahead and move forward with that marriage. We see Elizabeth. 
As we think about John the Baptist and just the fact that she was barren at that point in her life, and yet she's going to be a part of the whole beginning of, the, of, the, of Christ's ministry and movement as she bears John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. We think of Zacharias, her husband. We think about, as we said already, John the Baptist himself. We think of those shepherds that uh, God permitted a, an angel to go to, and that angel uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, visited them and said, listen, it's time for you guys to get up and go see the Savior. And man, they made their way there. And we think of Simeon and Anna, who ultimately, after the birth of Jesus Christ, are found in the temple. And there, when brought to the temple, they couldn't believe their eyes. They had seen the Savior. They'd seen the Messiah. The wise men themselves, as after some time, they make their way to see the Lord Jesus Christ now in a home, and there they have an opportunity to worship him. And so we have so many characters and so many people that are involved in this Christmas account that we could address. And, you know, every one of them uh, is, is found in Scripture. Every one of them plays a role and a part. And tonight, I want to ask you a simple question. Here it is. This is the simple question. Which one of these characters is the most important? Which one's the most important? And I hear Jesus a lot, and some may say Mary. But if there's no Mary, there'd be no Jesus. You say, well, you found somebody else. Well, then we'd have another name there. I'd imagine, personally, I'd, I'd thought that of that list, I, I mean, I didn't even mention Jesus' name. You guys are trying to, you know, like be ahead of the curve or something here. But uh, I would think that she might be the most popular answer, but it really, yeah, I mean, what, what, I mean, honestly, think about it. Can you imagine Charlie Brown's Christmas without Linus quoting the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night? I just wouldn't, I might as well not even have it. That's the best, isn't it? When the, the light hits him, on stage, come on, you watched it already this year. I mean, what would Christmas be without the wise men? And again, I, I get it. I know some say, well, it's, it's Jesus or it's Mary or whatever, but I don't know. Our nature is to place more weight on certain contributions than others, isn't it? I mean, we view some roles, some responsibilities more valuable or maybe essential than others, right? That's how we usually do it. Let me ask you, what's more important in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, the peanut butter or the jelly? <clears throat> Someone says, well, I don't like jelly as much as I like peanut butter, so peanut butter. Yeah, but it's not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without both, right? I mean, what's more important, the car or the fuel? You say, well, the car. Well, it might be more valuable in the sense that you could sell it for more, but you can't use it without fuel unless you get on a big hill and just coast down. <clears throat> but then you got to pull it back up or push it, and that's no fun either. What's more important in basketball, the ball or the basket? I mean, really, you say, well, we got a couple of hoops here, we got a floor, where's the basketball? We don't have one, can't play. Right? I mean, it's simple, right? I mean, it's pretty basic. I mean, what's more important on a football team, the quarterback or the offensive line? I think a lot of teams in the NFL realize that that offensive line is pretty important. No matter how good your quarterback is, if nobody's blocking, you're in trouble. See, most of the time we like to rank things. We like to prioritize their value. 
And you know, that's not all bad, okay? Don't misunderstand me. There's a place for that, and it's important that we do that from time to time, but we need priorities, yes, indeed, but we got to also recognize what's, you know, sometimes we lose sight, I should say, of the value of every contribution, of every effort. Yeah, you're right. We, we can't lose sight of value, without a doubt. But, but sometimes we have a tendency to place value on things, and it's based on our viewpoint, it's based on our perspective. I want you to turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Look what it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 3. I think we have to be careful, as I said, that we don't lose sight of the value of every contribution and every effort that's made. Over here in Mark chapter 14, the Bible begins in verse 3 by saying, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. This isn't where we're going to preach tonight, but let's have a word of prayer so we can keep going without stopping. Father, bless us. We desperately need you tonight. May we be encouraged by your word. Thank you for these that are able to gather tonight, and Lord, for those that will be listening via the live stream. We ask, Lord, that once again, your spirit would move in our midst, that he would do a work in our lives. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Wonderful privilege to be a part of the family of God as a result of our personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Now be glorified in this service and may we be better for you for having been here tonight. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So as we continue reading, we read there after the Bible says that she poured that precious ointment upon his head, verse 3, we read in verse 4, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Or it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. And they've been given to the poor. They murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. By the way, can I tell you, that socialism will never solve that problem. I'm just going to let it out there. Throw it out there. It doesn't matter how far and how much you try to redistribute wealth, the poor will be with you always. It's as simple as it is. It's a biblical principle, so get over it. I'm not saying you don't help people. I'm saying this idea that we're going to change our whole system in order to bring everybody up and bring everybody down so we're all equal. That's not even biblical either. That's not how, it's never going to be that way. Equal financially? That, God could care less about your money compared to your soul. This idea that all that matters is money is all the world. has nothing to do with the Bible. Nothing to do with it. It's interesting that the early church was comprised of primarily slaves. You don't see that being the issue in this New Testament. That's not what God's goal is. There is a liberation that is far deeper than just a physical liberation on this earth. It is a spiritual, uh, a, a spiritual one that ultimately frees us to exercise communion and fellowship with Him. And in that is where we find our joy, not in having all the things the world says is important today. 
And again, I know that's not popular and it's certainly not politically correct, but it is a biblical truth. And as you and I go out, we need to do our best to be as as productive as we can in society. We need to do our very best to be a blessing to others, but we do it with the express purpose of seeing others draw nigh to him and to give him what is rightfully his, their worship. He deserves their worship. Whether or not saved or lost, he deserves it. And the truth is, is that one of the greatest egregious, one of the most egregious elements of a lost man or woman is that they're not giving to God what he rightly deserves. Everything. Because he's giving them everything. How disrespectful is it to be created by a creator and then to turn your back on the very one that created you? Man, that's, that's rough. How much even worse, how, how much more worse is it for us, you and I, who have tasted the mercy and the grace of God to turn our backs on it? It's got to be even more of a slap in the face to some degree in my mind. But nonetheless, that's a whole other issue. But I just thought I'd throw that in there for good measure. But the Bible says that he goes on to say, For whensoever ye will, ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Do you see why sometimes live stream may not be the best thing in the world for us? Can you imagine if the world got a hold of what I just said, what they would do to twist that and turn that into, boy, he hates people. That's why we need to be very careful with our live stream, and that's why some things are probably going to have to change because our culture is getting more combative toward Christianity all the time, true Christianity, biblical Christianity. Well, there's Christianity in the world, but not biblical Christianity. You start speaking the Bible, and you say it the way the Bible says, you start naming things the way the Bible names it, you're going to be the enemy of the world. They'll certainly be your enemy, I guarantee you that. You may not hate them, but they'll hate you. You say, yo, they wouldn't. Well, Jesus said they would. We'll just take his word for it instead of someone else's. Well, preacher, you're really enjoying this tonight, aren't you? I don't know about that, but I'll tell you what, I I didn't know what I was going to preach tonight, but I kept working on it for the last two or three days because my wife guaranteed me, she said, you've got to do something that has to do with Christmas. And I said, well, why? It's Christmas. So I figured every lady in the house would say, you've got to do something with Christmas. So I started with Christmas. No, we're going we're gonna to still get there again. But anyway, notice it says, <clears throat> he goes on to say, then finally, verily I send you, verse 9, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. I like the passage. This woman, the Bible says, Jesus said, she did what she could. She did what she could. Now, it wasn't that she, it wasn't that, uh, it wasn't what she did that made it more valuable, although what she did was unique and very special. We will agree to that. But it was what, it was, it it was um, that she did what she could. So it wasn't what she did, but that she did what she could. See, the implication is that there are some things she couldn't have done, but she did what she could. You get where I'm going with this? And I think it's important that we remember this. Have you ever known somebody who could have done so much more, but they settled for doing less? You ever ever know someone like that? I mean, it isn't that they're they're not doing anything or, or aren't doing anything, but that what they were doing wasn't equal to their potential. 
See, their contribution may have even been great, but it could have been so much more. You get where I'm going? And this is what we're trying to bring out. If indeed someone is doing what they can, then they are obviously valuable to God. If you're doing what you could, just like this woman, then it's about, you say, well, yeah, but 300 pence was like almost a year's wages. Yeah, but that's not the issue. She did what she could. She didn't go out on the streets probably and preach the gospel like some of the apostles did. She didn't do some of the other work that maybe some of the other ladies in the church were doing. She wasn't able to do everything that some of the men could do, but what she did was what she could. And that's what made it valuable. That's what made it important to God. That's what, why he said, wait, she had done what she could. And we're going to remember this as a memorial. She'd cast it upon me. She'd given me her best. See, if you're going to give it your very best, then your best is enough for God. And your best for God is all that anyone should ever expect. God would have us all give our very best. And in doing so, our combined efforts fulfill the plan and purpose of God on the earth. That's how he intended it to be. So when our contribution is anything less than our best, and that's where the problem lies. That's the problem. Do you realize the Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. When we give God anything less than our best, we have given him virtually nothing. Because we've given him what we want, not what he's asked for. Isn't it funny? You know, it's kind of funny at Christmas time. Uh, you know, uh, we, we, there's certain things maybe that you're looking forward to. Now, and every once in a while in some relationships uh, with a husband and wife, they'll just say, well, what do you really want? You know, because I mean, you know, like my wife, I, she has anything and everything she could ever want. I, I provide her everything. There's nothing she could ever want. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's not the case. But anyway, she says, honey, here's what I really want. I want a, a new washer. That's a good Christmas present, right? <laughs> Maybe not. But let's just say it was a new coat. And I say, oh, okay. Now, obviously for Christmas we don't do this necessarily, but, but some people might. But she's expecting a coat. That's all she wants. That's all she's asked for. And that morning she gets a box of chocolates. I don't know about you, but my wife, of course, would be grateful for anything, and I'm sure yours would too, but there are some that would say, what are you talking about? You knew, I, you knew what I wanted, and I wanted a coat, and you gave me chocolates. She wouldn't be too happy. Actually, the truth is, is that maybe even your effort would kind of be very disappointing for her. Be like, you didn't do that for me. I know why you got me chocolates, because you want to eat them. Right? And, you know, sometimes we give God things that he's not asking for or we don't give him our very best. We give him what's left over and we expect him to accept it and to love it and like it no matter what. And the truth is he doesn't have to. He deserves our best always. Because when we don't give him our best, it's usually because there's something we want out of it. Hmm. If you're doing all that you can, then your contribution, howbeit different from others, is still essential and it is valuable. 
No matter your position, no matter your part, if you're doing what you can, it's not a subpar contribution, but a complete one. And when combined with others, it makes the whole. Apple pie. I like apple pie. If somebody said, what's your favorite pie? I'd have to say it'd be coconut cream, I believe. I would have to stick with coconut. I like a lemon meringue too. Apple's all right. I even like pumpkin pie. Come to think of it, I like them all. But anyway, the fact is, is that if I was going to make me an apple pie, right, or I was going to look into that, you know, I'm not much of a baker, by the way. I don't do a lot of that cooking stuff, but I know that an apple pie requires a crust. You got to have a good crust. It's plenty of apples. You ever have an apple pie and there's just a few little scraggly apples in it? You know, or I don't know about you. I'm not one about crunchy apples in my apple pie. Now, some people like them crunchy. I don't. I like them like kind of in between, just a little bit to where they're actually kind of soft and plump and juicy. <laughs> I almost said something I'd regretted right there. But anyway, <laughs> crust and plenty of apples and then this real thick, rich sauce. I'm not one with a watery apple sauce. Like, I want it to be kind of thick. So, you know, you put it all together, that's great. But hold on, that's not the all. That's just kind of, those are all on the outside. You see those. They're, they're important, yes, but they're not everything because there's a number of other things that kind of go into it, a number of other ingredients. You think about sugar and flour and so many other things that go into an apple pie. Now, not one of those things is the same. They're all unique. They're all different. But they're all necessary. They're all essential if you really want the pie to taste great. You know, I can't imagine a pie without sugar. Now they have these non-sugar pies. Hey, listen, if it's non-sugar, they're, they're replacing that with something. Now, I don't know what they're putting in it, but man, I'll just take the sugar. I want the real stuff. But boy, I can't even imagine having one without any sugar. And yet, for the most part, Sugar's pretty much behind the scenes. Now, somebody may sprinkle a little sugar on the top, but the truth is, is that it's mixed in with everything. You got sugar in everything that's any good, right? You don't always see it, but let me tell you, it plays a major role. I want you to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, our major question or original question was, which character, so to speak, in that particular account was the most important? I think by now you're figuring out that I probably don't see any one of them being as any more important than the next. It seems to me that they all have value and that they all contribute to the whole. Look what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We begin in verse 12. The Bible says, oops, sorry, I got a sticky note. And if you leave those on too long, they get more sticky. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we're, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, it is, therefore, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, 
Because I'm not the ear, the eye, I'm not, I'm, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? And now hath God set the numbers, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Now let's stop there for a minute. I just wonder, if I said to you, what's more important, your head or your feet? Every one of us would go, my head, it's got my brain in it. Really? Oh, but anyway, uh, so, okay, so there's our head with our brains. Some of you wives are looking at your husbands like, mm -mm, I don't think so. But anyway, right? I see some of you looking, okay. So nonetheless, notice he says here, he says, but now, uh, let's see, he, he, he makes sure that we understand that the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. That's interesting to me. You're not important to me. Uh, yeah, you are. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need, for God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, government, diversities of tongues. He goes on to say, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Boy, he goes on to list a number of things. He just says, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet, I, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Let me tell you, what he's pointing out here is that there's not one portion of the body that is more important than the other. It's really what he's trying to point out. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, we just read it, but he says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. So in this particular case, you know, the Bible's stating that God is very good at orchestrating his body, this, this, this body of believers that's been assembled together, this group even, here at Community Baptist. He knows you and I better than anyone knows us. He has equipped each of us with particular gifts and abilities. We possess particular, certain strengths and weaknesses that he intends to use in the body. God makes this decision. God's the one who places. God's the one who inserts us into the right places. In 1 Corinthians 12, 21, he says, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have, need of, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Again, God makes it perfectly clear how we should view each other and our contributions. See, no part played is of any less value than the other then. 
It's, it's important that we understand some things. Now, again, we, we have to remind ourselves that he, she did what she could. We have to remind ourselves that God is interested in us giving our best. If we're not giving our best, then what we said was that in essence, it's really not going to please God because it's not what he's really asking for. But let me say this, if you are doing all that you can, then there's not one position in the church that's more important than the one you're doing. Not one. In 1 Corinthians 12, he goes on to say, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Again, as a matter of fact, he points out that those parts of the body that are more feeble are necessary. Wow. How many times have you heard somebody say, and I've heard this a bunch, and I'm sure you probably have, what I do isn't really that important. Anybody could do it. You ever hear people say stuff like that? Of course, you know, I mean, that's normal for us, right? We, we, we you know, most of the time, you know, we, we try to be, you know, we even try to be humble, you know, and so we try to let people know we don't think we're prideful. and You know, what I'm doing, anybody could do it. And sometimes we do that because we sincerely believe that. I think most people that I've talked to did really believe that. I've met a few that say that to try to pretend they're humble. But the most part, people are like, eh, what I do isn't important. Anybody could do it. Well, you may say that anybody can do it, but they aren't. You are. <laughs> but not only that, but you need to remember, God has, quote, set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. That's pretty important if you ask me. Don't you think that's important that he put you there then? You say, nah, he didn't do that. One of the staff guys did or one of the, past the pastor did or, or something. Uh, uh, you got to be careful with that one. If we really believe that God is the head of the church and the pastor's the under-shepherd, then we got to believe there's something going on here. And he's putting people in places. That means your position, your job, your part is not insignificant in the least. Not anybody could do it. God obviously felt you were the right person for the job. That means that you're pretty unique then. I'm not here to try to give you a swelled head or make you think that you're something that you're not, but I'm telling you this, you're important to God then because he's put you in a position and you know what? That makes you important in the body as well. Tonight, we look forward to celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do. It's coming up very soon, very soon. And as we review the account of his birth, we may be tempted to place more value, more significance upon one character or another, maybe one contribution than another. I do believe, however, it's very safe to say that they all played a part and each part made up the whole. And you know, when you and I do what we can, we too are contributing to the whole. Give your best. Do your best and fulfill your potential for Christ. He will place you in the body as he sees fit and your contribution will be no greater, no less than anybody else's. There is no place in the local body for noses to be raised up. But neither is there a place for any heads to be bowed low. I've coached football for a number of years, but I remember years ago, 
um, coaching at Bookville High School and had a young team there, and I was very young at the time, but we had played a game, and we were doing pretty well, really. We were just a freshman team. It wasn't the, the high schoolers. We was just coaching the freshmen that year. And um, I just remember having a loss, and the kids coming into the locker room, and their heads were all down, and they were feeling, they were bumming because they were running around telling the varsity they could beat them and all that stuff. You know how it goes. We'd been winning. The varsity kept losing every game. And they, they were like, we think we can beat the varsity. We can beat you guys. And those guys were so mad at them. They got beat one game, and they came back into the locker room, and their heads were hanging low. Man, they had played their guts out. They played their hearts out. They had really left it all on the field. And I said to them, and they had no reason to lower their heads if they gave it their best. You got no reason to hang your head if you've given it your best. You can always hold your head high if you leave it all in the field. Hey, nobody likes to lose. But I can guarantee you this. I've never lost in a team sport where if I felt I did my best, I went away going, <laughs> I went away going, you know, I wish we'd have won, but I know I didn't quit on that field. I did all that I could. Let me ask you, are you doing all that you can? You know, because if you're doing all you can, you can always hold your head up, so to speak. You don't have to go, well, you know, what I'm doing isn't important. Are you doing your best? Giving it all? Oh, if you could be doing more or you, you could be doing something else and God's told you you should be, but you haven't put in the work, the effort, the study, the preparation, that's one thing. But if you are doing everything you can do, she'd done all that she could. You can hold your head up. There's no reason to bow your head in shame. You're valuable. You're important. You're significant. You played a role, a part. And when you put all those parts and pieces together, it makes the whole. And that's what God's concerned about, it's the whole. Let me ask you this. Was Jesus any less God as a child than he was on the cross? The answer, of course, is no. Certainly we would point to the cross as his greatest contribution on earth, but there'd have been no crucified Christ without a child in a manger. May we never forget there may be some smaller parts, roles, and pieces, but there are no insignificant ones. They are equally significant. You say, boy, I'm glad you started with Christmas because you didn't really talk much about it. I know. It's what happens when you compromise trying to please your wife and the Lord at the same time. So I allowed the introduction to be Christmas and the message to be what the Lord wanted. See how I did that? <laughs> okay, some of you are going, man, this guy's really carnal, fleshly. No, I think it works together because honestly, it doesn't matter what part or who played it in our Christmas account, they were all equally valuable. Amen. I can't imagine it without all of them. We thank the Lord for every part and piece that every person in the body plays because they're all significant. Every piece, every part.
every effort, every contribution equally significant. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. And Lord, we thank you for the simple truths that we've had a chance to consider tonight. Thank you for these that have gathered here as well as those that are watching via the live stream. We pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified in our lives. Lord, thank you, Father, for just every part that people play. Lord, sometimes we do. We have a tendency to view things, uh, oh, wow, he's the pastor. Without him, it would never fly. Well, the truth is, is that there's a lot of people that play extremely significant roles, and all of our parts together make the whole. And Lord, the truth is, you put the body in place, and therefore, there's not one that's more, any more or less significant. They're all equally valuable. Lord, help us just to always do what we can, to do our best, filled with your Spirit. And Lord, you'll take care of the rest. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Amen.